Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me are... I'm Wilby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And I am Anya Crittenden, associate editor at The Tracking Board. And if I sound a little worse for wear today, it's because I've been sick. But I'm going to do my best. Um, so guess what, guys? What? What? Did you guys know that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is podcasting loud for all to hear? That's adorable. That's amazing. So if you couldn't tell, today we're going to be talking about Christmas movies, which is one of my favorite genre of movies because I love Christmas so much. I was telling H2 Willoughby before the episode started that if Christmas sent me a letter asking if I like liked it, I would check the yes box like a thousand times over and put like hearts all around my name. That's how much I like Christmas. Yeah, I would have just said I think of I think of you Christmas more as friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of I'm fine to see Christmas once a year, maybe hang out for a day, but otherwise, just like catch up, you know, yeah, say like how you, how you been. Yeah, get I'm some like drinks. Several but... months celebration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Anya was ready with her Christmas decorations back in like September, I think. <laughs> Not that early, but, like, I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about Christmas movies, our favorites, kind of what makes a good Christmas movie, um, traditional versus subversive Christmas movies. We're just going to run the whole gambit. Um, so let's start by just kind of tossing out a few of our favorite Christmas movies. Ruby, why don't you tell us some of your favorites? Okay, well, I've got the really cliche one, uh, Love Actually. Uh, number one on my list. Uh, oh. Then I've got Elf, which is uh, John Favreau's Christmas movie. I think that's pretty high I've on all the... three of our lists. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've also got the Santa Claus, the one with Tim Allen, where it becomes uh, Santa Claus. Um, Real I quick, used to... side note, HT, I feel like this would be more appropriate to you. Do you have a crush on Bernard the Elf like I did as a kid? You know, I kind of did back when he was like the numbers guy. He was David the numbers Crumble. guy, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I loved Bernard Veal. I was like, I was very confused because I think I actually saw the Santa Claus back when he was on Numbers, and I was like, "What is going on? I don't know how I feel right now." <laughs> okay, just minor interruption. I just had to talk about Bernard Veal. Yeah. yeah, we we used to watch the Santa Claus like every Christmas, uh, and then um, uh, recently, I about five years ago, I watched uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the first time, and I really liked it. So that's on my list. Um, then you've got Home Alone, the Macaulay Culkin classic with, uh, uh, you know, the, the scream face. That's always <laughs> scream fun. face. Um, and then one that my family and I watch um, on every Christmas Eve, uh, White Christmas. You know, I've never seen that. It's good. It's fun. It's, it's The plot is a little weird and, like, doesn't really make any sense, but the performances yeah, are all really good. It's more of, like... like <clears throat> My mom and sister watch it more times than I do, but, like, it's always kind of, like, fun to... They, like, make fun of it at the same time. Like, yeah. it's, like, it's a loving... It's a musical... Yeah, it's a musical you watch for the musical performances, not, like, the story. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, th- those are my list. It's pretty cliche Christmas movies, um, and they're all, like... I don't know. They're all kind of fun and happy. No, uh, no diehards. <laughs> no. Uh, I have a couple subversive ones, but I'll I'll list some of my similar ones to Willoughby too. I also have Elf uh, and Love Actually. Love Actually I watched pretty recently and then like got really into so much that I started watching it every Christmas as well. Um, I, 
it is a little bit on the subversive side because they're not all happy endings in Love Actually. Um, no. I like The Grinch. So both versions of it. The Jim, okay. the Jim Carrey one, too. The okay. Jim Carrey one, I was obsessed with as a kid. I would watch it, like, not even at Christmas. That was a movie that I would watch, like, all the time. And I would get really sad over it, too, because there's always the really emotionally heart-wrenching part where, you know, Cindy Lou Who, I think that was her name, was trying to get him to believe or something. And I don't know. It was really sad. And whenever she's saying, where are you, Christmas, I got I started crying, so... You know, I I cry a lot during movies. Made my list of, of movies that almost made my list, but mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately did not. Yeah, the Santa Claus also was a surprisingly sad one as well. It's got like click syndrome in terms of you think it's going to be silly and fluffy, and then suddenly like he's losing custody of his kids in the court of law. So yeah, that was sad. Um, I also have another w- weird one that I was obsessed with was Beauty and the Beast: The Enchanted Christmas. Yes, oh, that direct-to-DVD movie, right? It's, like, it's my favorite Disney sequel, I'm pretty sure. More <laughs> so than um, Lion King 2. Because Beauty and the Beast is my favorite Disney movie. And I, every, like, c- couple OTP that I've shipped have had shades of Beauty and the Beast in them. So it's influenced me a lot. And, of course, the sequel was one of my favorite. It it takes place in the Christmas um when in the middle of the movie when she like before she runs away um and like gets attacked by wolves and stuff and it's it's so good tim curry yeah isn't it as like the talking piano and is terrifying even in like animated form um it's so good the songs are great what else um kiss kiss bang bang which is on the more subversive side uh we'll talk about that in a little bit um an arguably christmas one nightmare before christmas um, I love the aesthetic of that. You can watch it at Halloween, you can watch it at Christmas, whichever you prefer. Exactly. Um, and then more of the traditional ones, It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, um, Little Woman, which... Yes, I oh, Little Woman's adore. the best. Yeah. It Joe kinda... and the Professor forever. Joe and Lori for me, I'm sorry. I was a Joe and Lori shipper ever since I read the book. Oh my god, wait. Yes. We're going to have to have a talk, girl, because <laughs> Joe and Lori are terrible okay. together. I understand. I understand Joe and the professor, and I know that he was better for her emotionally and, like, mature, matureness-wise. But I just, I, Joe and Lori type of relationship, that childhood friendship that turns into just, like, a spark of something more, is, like, my catnip. I love those. Girl. I, I can't, I can't help I also it. love Lori and Amy. They're so good for each other. Okay, for those who can't see, I'm just like giving Anya this look of disbelief. I think I think that I the right choices Amy. were made in that book. No, okay, I okay, I just I now I disagree with you vehemently because I hate Lori and Amy. <laughs> I mean, Lori, I think Lori and Amy work together, but like nothing beats Joe and the Professor. Like Joe and the Professor are yes. so cute. Joe and the Professor, I understand, but like I didn't. Also, Gabriel Byrne. Yes. And Winona Ryder. Okay. But Forever. Christian Bale, though. Christian Mm-mm. Bale. Well. Agree to disagree, but also you're wrong. <laughs> Willoughby's just like, what is happening right now? I have, we have a lot of Little Woman feelings, like yeah. forever. You know, this, Wait, this is my favorite classic book listened, when I was little. Have I, you listened to the Little Woman musical? I haven't. I didn't even know there was a musical. It's so good. Sutton Foster plays Joe. Oh, it's so good. It's such a lovely musical. The music's so cute. 
Yeah. I can send it to you. I it's love, really good. I love Little Women. My copy of Me Little Women is like tattered because it was the book that I read the most as a kid. It was like, it was my favorite book before I picked up Jane Eyre, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was also a kind of Beauty and the Beast book. Whoops. Um, but yeah, Little Women, the movie, it's just, it has, it has so many Christmas sort of messages in it, despite not being entirely set in Christmas. A lot yeah. of, it's very central to like, it's sort of thematic arc i guess you'd say um i think that was oh i have one last one which is a really interesting subversive one that i kind of forgot existed until i was looking up my movies for this um is it christmas with the cranks no it's not it's a french movie called wheat femme um eight women it's um a musical set in christmas um in one mansion in which this whole family of uh eight women well Four women, plus like the servants and caretakers and stuff, are snowed in, um, and there is a murder of the master of the house. So all of these eight women are suspects in the murder, and so like they all try to find out who was the killer and like who's sleeping with who, whatever, because it's a French movie. There's affairs everywhere, and it's a musical, so they sing along to like whatever like their separate stories are. And it's it's charming and like very funny but in a kind of black comedy way and i recommend it because i remember seeing it when i was little and being like this is a weird movie but it really stuck with me um catherine deneuve is in it playing a really great role um music is catchy it's kind of along the lines of like the umbrellas of Cherbourg. like the music just kind of randomly shows up in the movie and doesn't really have to do with it's not like in the traditional musical sense i would say but um, that's a good movie and kind of Christmassy. <clears throat> so yeah, that's my list. A little kind of both traditional and subversive, not really Christmas Christmassy movies. So Anya, why don't you tell us your big list? Um, all right. So I have quite a few repeats because we all know like the great Christmas movies. So mm-hmm. like Love Actually, mm-hmm. Elf. Um, I always love those too. I also really like um, rom rom set mm-hmm. at Christmas. And so, like, I mean, I guess Love Actually falls into the rom-com category, but I consider it more of just a Christmas movie. Um, but, like, my favorite rom-coms at Christmas are The Holiday. I love that movie so much. I thought it's you would so include cute. that. I love, huh? I thought you'd include that, because oh I know I love your love for the movie, and it's the Christmas rom-com movie, even though I was, like, it not is. blown away with it when I watched it. I love it forever. I just think it's so cute. Um, but I also really like You've Got Mail and While You Were Sleeping. Which are not like overtly well. While you were sleeping, is sort of overtly Christmas. You've got yeah. mail, is it? But they both have enough Christmas that I like watching them at Christmas, mm. and I just love them as rom coms. Um, I also think you know how they have those Christmas movies that like family get-togethers and there's like dysfunctional family and like fights and stuff. And mm-hmm. my favorite one forever at Christmas is The Family Stone. You know, I thought about including that movie because it's surprisingly it's- good. It's such a good movie. Yeah. And my girl Rachel McAdams is in it. I think um, should, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's actually really good. Mm-hmm. And it has some it really great characters and writing. Yeah. I remember watching it thinking it would be one of those typical family dysfunctional uh, comedies that they crank out at Christmas. <laughs> um, and yeah. just And they're not that good. But it's surprisingly deep and thought-provoking. Well, not thought-provoking, but like Agreed. emotionally provoking. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's um, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. However, I have to say that um, the two top ones for me, um, the first one is um, A Christmas Carol, 
with George C. Scott, mm-hmm. which is probably not the most popular Christmas Carol version. I know people like like the Muppets version um, or things like that, but my parents both really love that version with George C. Scott, and so I grew up watching that one like every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, A Christmas Carol is one of my favorite Christmas stories of all time. I'm actually seeing a live production of it next weekend with my parents. Um, So it's very much just kind of like a movie for, like, me and my parents. Um, And that's really special for us. And then the last one, my favorite of all time, is It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it every Christmas Eve. Um, I think it's just really wonderful. It makes me cry. Every time I watch it, no matter what, like, no matter how many times I watch that movie, I will always cry at the very end when all the citizens of Bedrock show up and give their money and save the day. And they all sing, all sing, ling, all sing, ling, that song. That song, um, yes. Thanks, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Mm. I told you I've been sick. My brain is like mush. Um, yes, that song. When they all sing that and, like, it's a happy ending. I cry every time. I just think It's a Wonderful Life is so beautiful. Um, it is, like, the perfect Christmas movie, really. It is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break both your hearts and say I haven't seen it. <gasps> well, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have gonna to show it to you. To, we're going to have to do something about that. I can't believe you've never seen it. Never seen it. Never seen that or or A Christmas Story. I haven't seen A Christmas Story, and I haven't seen Miracle on 34th Street. Me neither. Or Miracle on 34th Street is cute. I've I've seen A Christmas Story um, a couple times. It's actually not my favorite Christmas movie. It's a little too... If you might be able to tell, I really love like the traditional kind of magical, endearing, happy Christmas movies. Christmas was um, and it's yeah, and A Christmas Story is a little too... Subversive. Yeah, I guess for me. It's oh. it's one of the things we could, we should get into our subversive versus traditional discussion. Because, like, I really love Kisses Bang Bang. I think it's probably... It's my favorite Shane Black film. Mm-hmm, it's mine And too. I think it's a brilliant film. But, like, for me, I don't consider it a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Like, just because it's set at Christmas, it I don't consider it a Christmas movie. It's something that I want to watch the holidays to, like be like, ah, it's Christmas, it's the holidays. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a very clear distinction in my mind of kind of Christmas movie versus just a movie set at Christmas. Well, let's get into that discussion then. So I am a fan of both. As you saw, like, my list had a sprinkling of both the traditional and the subversive. And I like the subversive because... Um, while I enjoy, like, that traditional Christmas film, there's only so many stories of it you can make that are good. And as, like, as you see, there's, like, a very cut-and-dry sort of, um, at the end of the the day, Christmas is saved um, story. And, like, the really warmth, family, um, family central sort of film, um, there are, like, exceptions to that. But, like, I feel like the purpose of subversive films is to kind of bring a another another angle to like the Christmas movie and like I don't think it really is hating on like Christmas in general I think it just like takes that setting and tells a different story um 
And, like, that's why I like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, because I, I do see Christmas as being more central to it than, like, Anya says, because, like, the setting is at Christmas. Um, it kind of takes place, like, in your seedy... Where does it take place? Los Angeles. Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Yeah, I feel like it take it takes place somewhere colder because it feels like there's more snow and everything. Well, he doesn't start in Los Angeles. He starts in I think in New York. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he gets he runs into an audition and then like gets flown over to yeah. L.A. Right, right, right. Um, it takes place in that city thing, and like I think that's that is how a lot of L.A. people do like experience Christmas because they don't have any snow and stuff. So I think that's why they they like those kind of films. Um, but I like it because I think that it flips that idea of Christmas on the head, but at the same time as sort of having, I don't know, the heart of Christmas Christmas at at it, because I just find it so funny, but still, like, really just having a positive sort of outlook, if you know what I mean, at the same time. But I consider Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to be the most Christmassy of the Shane Black films. Most of his films do take place at Christmas or have some connection to Christmas in general, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think has it at its most central part of the plot. Yeah, I guess I agree. I think it's the most Christmassy. Mm-hmm. I guess I just don't consider it really central to the plot. Like, mm-hmm. you could set this movie at another time and it would still work. And, like, the plot, like, the murder mystery plot can still exist without Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's the thing is, for me, it's like a Christmas movie. If you take away Christmas, does the movie still work? Mm-hmm. Or does it, like, hold up as well? Yeah, and like that's what make that's what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie to me. Also, I need to know real quick when I was talking about It's a Wonderful Life, I said Bedrock instead of Bedford Falls because I was. You know what? I believed you. I believed you. I know, but I'm sure some of our listeners will not, and they'll be like, "Uh, that's the Flintstones." <laughs> and it's, I'm, I'm just gonna, sure. I'm going to keep using the ex- the excuse that I'm sick and that my brain is mush and that they both start with bed. My brain is always much, so... I'm going to go ahead and say that there was probably a Flintstones episode that <coughs> went through the plot of It's a Wonderful Life. Because, like, every sitcom, every show does, like, their own, like, pull him from his reality to see what his life is, his his family members would be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but I just want to say that, like, I'm not, like, a fake It's a Wonderful Life fan. <laughs> I know It's a Wonderful Life. I watch it every Christmas Eve. I quote it all the time. I have an art print of the movie hung up in my room, framed... Because I love that movie so much. So, uh-huh. Bedford Falls, hot dog. That I just wanted to correct, so I wasn't going to get like, a, it's a wonderful life shamed. Yeah, because we get so many emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, what, you, what would you say would be like the central uh, facets of a Christmas movie, for example? Anya, you go ahead because you're the you're oh. the Christmas expert here. Um, magic. I know that's really cheesy. So, like, like, that one scene in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when they're playing chess in the Great yeah. Hall, that's... Can we call qualify Harry Potter as a Christmas movie? No. Okay. <laughs> but you can qualify that moment as a really great... I love Christmas at Hogwarts. I think Hogwarts at Christmas is, like, super... It's, like, extra magical. Yeah. All the snow and all the decorations. It's so pretty. Um, yeah, I think magic. I mean, and not always, like literal magic. Right, no, I like, get I get what you're talking about. Yeah, like, like, Elf is great, and, like, so is A Christmas Carol, and the fact that there's, like, actual, like, magical, supernatural things at Force or whatever, but, like, there's, it's really hard to put into words because it's not really, like, a tangible thing, but there's, like, a feeling with a Christmas movie. So, like, 
a miracle in a way. Like the the concept of the Christmas miracle, either whether whether it's from like from thin air or whether it's from human nature itself. Like yes. whether you see like the best of humanity in Christmas, that kind of thing. Like Jonathan Taylor Thomas coming home for Christmas in time. Exactly. Exactly. And I am not one to believe in miracles, but Christmas I'm I'm a little more a little more open to that idea. The space becomes more liminal and things can happen during December twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So not to be stuck on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but I would but say But to be stuck on Kiss Kiss Bang Um I do think that that sort of like miraculous twist or central thesis to Christmas movies does sort of exist in that universe. Like, it's not what it hinges on, but it, I feel like it has that feeling to it. Maybe it's just like, I really love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, so I'm going to argue for it being a Christmas movie. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is, I also love it. Mm-hmm. It's just not a Christmas movie okay. to me. It, like, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like one to me, because it just feels like everything is so hyper-realistic and just not, nothing is really plausible that it just feels like something that would happen in that weird sort of time bubble that is Christmas, you know? Yeah. I know, I get what you're saying. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll watch it again this Christmas and be swayed. I always find that strip club scene really funny when they're all in like Christmas gear. And I feel like it wouldn't be as funny and subversive and weird if it weren't at Christmas. It's just, it's always, and like Michelle Monaghan in like her little Christmas outfit and stuff like that. So... Yeah, so, I I mean, Mm -hmm. well, maybe I'll watch it again, and I'll I'll let you know. Um, I want you guys to weigh in on Die Hard. I've not seen Die Hard. (laughs) Never seen it. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, because... It's going to disappoint a lot of viewers, but... Sorry, guys. I I mean, we are millennials, so... I've only seen it, like, the once. I'm not, like, I'm not Jake Paul. I I know plenty of friends my age who see it, who watch it every Christmas. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I'm not Jake Peralta, but... I've seen it once, and I... By the way, like, the the Brooklyn Nine-Nine Die Hard episode they did at Christmas last year was amazing. It was so amazing. Good. Yeah. It was so good. And I mean, like, Die Hard's good, and, like, there are, like, Christmassy elements, but, like, again, it's not... To me, it's not a... Like, a Christmas movie is, like, capital C, capital M. Like, mm-hmm. it is its own genre, and it's, like, its own thing. I thought you met the... I thought you met the M in Christmas. <laughs> That's what I thought for a second, too. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Ani, you spell things interestingly. <laughs> we're talking about movie as well. Christmas, Christmas movie, movie, yes. So when you like, cap, cap, capital C, capital M, I was like, <laughs> capital C H R I S T, capital M. People sense. are not going to be able to follow this episode. I'm like, it's a fever dream. You're you're living. I'm, a fever I'm having dream. a fever dream talking about Christmas, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. But like, it's just not Christmas a dream. It's a good movie. Ooh. Or good band. Well, if it was a band, then they'd expect Christmas covers only. So. Um, on repeat. So, yeah, so Die Hard, like, it's a fun movie, but, like, it's not a Christmas, capital C, movie, capital M. Well, having not seen Chris, uh, Die Hard, I can't really speak clearly on this, but I feel like it is not the true, like, subversive Christmas movie either, in that it's taking, like, Christmas elements and flipping it on its head. It's just kind of it's set at Christmas, and it's edgy or cool just to watch a non-Christmas movie at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think... It's like being a freshman guy in college. <laughs> yeah, we're going to watch Die Hard. Yeah. So yeah. Like, 
Christmas vacation. Christmas is such a warm, like, sort of feminine holiday, I guess, so they need to reassert their masculinity by watching Die Hard or something. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, guys, I love Die Hard. So I think two... I think we all had two movies on all of our lists, which was Love Actually and Elf. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about those two for a little bit, just to talk about, like, why we all love them, why we think... I mean, they're both not old movies at this point, but, like, they've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. I think that they're just... This this is just one facet of it, but they're both insanely quotable. Um, You've got lines from Elf, like, Santa, I know him! And, like, you know, there's just so many moments that you can remember... From from Elf and from Love Actually, like I think the the benefit of Love Actually is that there's stories you can follow and stories you don't have to, um, and that you know you can kind of focus on like what Martin Freeman's doing or what Laura Linney's doing or what um, uh, Alan Rickman is doing. R.I.P. Oh, and the fact that he's terrible in that movie. Yeah, I mean, we also Thompson. Have in that movie, she's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, we all agree that Andrew Lincoln is the worst in that film, right? I oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think yeah. I think we need to talk about that because that's a that's a moment in the movie where less less uh, like uh, like I remember like the first time I watched I was like oh I thought that's a really sweet moment but as I've learned and grown and, and matured as a man uh, I that's really creepy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people thought it was romantic mm-hmm. when they first saw it, especially when they were younger. I feel like yeah. the movies that it kind of presents it as romantic, too, but, um... Yeah. Well, that, they definitely, that's their reading of it, is mm-hmm. that this is, like, a beautiful moment for him and her, and, like, the kiss that she gives is, like, the vindication that he that he requires, um, and that uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is totally, like, a cuckold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, like, I don't think this implies that, like, they're gonna end up having an affair because, like, after yeah. she gets him, he's like enough. Like, yeah, yeah. it's the sort of um, he's like un- he doesn't he never knows, and it's really awkward. Yeah, it's like the un- sort of unrequited love that people romanticize, but yeah, but also you don't go to someone's house with posters like that, especially like if Chiwetelji Four had answered the door. Yeah, that would have been really awkward. Like, like or what, what, just like what? it's not fair to Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. She is happily married to his best friend, and, like, it's not fair to, like, put this on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's put her in a situation that is incredibly uncomfortable for real-life people. Yep, but because it's Christmas, it's it's magic, so it goes away. Right. Also, can yeah. we talk about the cast in this movie? So good. Like, Amazing. the fact that there's so many people who are now famous, like, I don't think Chiwetel Ejiofor or Andrew Lincoln, or even Keira Knightley were very famous. As, well, Keira Knightley well, Keira Knightley was Keira Knightley. Pirates. She's pirates at that point. But, like, everyone else, yeah. everyone else in that movie, including, like, Martin Freeman, like, didn't have, like, the status of, of superstardom that they do now. Yeah. Yeah, only, I, like, a handful did. Like, you had Hugh Grant and Colin Firth, who were famous by then. Yeah. You had Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, who might not have been, like, famous to younger audiences, but, like, were yeah. well-established. Like, I mean, there's Ian. definitely, like, a lot of British actors and actresses. Like, in England, they probably were more famous than in America. Because, yeah. um, like, I think the first time... First time I ever watched it, I was like, oh, there's Snape. Like, I didn't think of him as anybody else. Yeah. Or even Hans Gruber to, to go call back Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's a pretty great cast. And I think, you know, there, there are some moments that you realize is pretty crappy now, like the Andrew Lincoln moment. Yeah. Um, it's not a and perfect like, film either. No, it's... but I also like how real it is. Like, you know, Liam Neeson dealing with, like, the death of his wife mm-hmm. around yeah. the holidays. And, like, how you cope with that. And Emma Thompson... Realizing that her husband is having sort of an emotional affair. Mm-hmm. 
for, at least an attraction affair. But well, that's why I consider Love Actually to be actually on more of the subversive side of Christmas than on the traditional yeah. uh, Christmas movie because it does have like all these little vignettes and like some of these stories that don't end happily or that don't have that like sort of uh, Christmas saves the day message at the end. It's just like these people living their lives, like Anya said. It's just real life that happens to be at Christmas. Some of them connected, some of them not. Some of them happy. So that's why I yeah, like it. Yeah, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really good. And like Willoughby said, it's endlessly quotable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's such a fun movie. And I mean, everyone. I feel like everyone just knows it. The way they know Elf, like, yeah. it's so universal at this point. And, like, Elf also has such a great cast. Like, Will Ferrell. Zoe Deschanel is Zoe really Deschanel cute. I forget Zoe Deschanel in that movie. Yeah. And she's, got, she's got blonde hair, which is, like, after that, she... I don't, even, I don't even know what her natural hair color is. And, like, either way, like, since then, she's always had, like, dark black hair. Yeah. It was before Zoe Deschanel was Zoe Deschanel. Right. It was before, before 500 Days of Summer and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And I also think... I think the thing with Elf is that it's the most pure of all like the christmas films like it's so unabashedly in love with christmas Mm -hmm. which is really funny considering john favreau because he's very into being subversive like if you watch iron man that's a very subversive superhero movie Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the uh um like the dialogue that's in in that movie and like everything else um and swingers and even jungle book i've just i watched jungle book on friday i found that very subversive with with this dialogue i thought it was going to be a lot more like I don't know, grand, grandiose dialogue, but it's very down-to-earth human dialogue. Yeah, yeah, but it works with Elf. It does. Um, It is. It's just like, it's because you are seeing it through the eyes of this protagonist who just loves Christmas so much, and you end up, you know, empathizing and connecting with him and wanting to believe in his story as much as he does, despite, like, you know, it, it, it being a fish-out-of-water story and kind of him meeting the cold reality of New York. It never really changes him because, you know, he's Buddy the Elf, and he loves Christmas. I do and wanna... he ends up changing other characters instead. Exactly. I love that. I do want to point out that our two common movies are, like, the most millennial movies of... Christmas films. It's true. We have a podcast called The Millennial Falcon, and of course they're going to be what Millennial are you expecting? movies. Very fitting, of course. We love our movies just like the rest of this generation does. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think that there's a lot of Christmas movies around this season that are, that people, I just love that so many people have, like, their favorites and that, mm-hmm. you know, you have, like, I think, I think the nice thing about Christmas movies is that they become so much of a tradition. Yeah. You know, and Christmas is all about traditions mm-hmm. um, in certain ways. And so I like that we all have kind of our favorites. I agree. Um, I will say that uh, our podcast is from three people who do celebrate Christmas. We're all, like, kind of of Christian descent. Like, my my mom is Catholic, so her side of the family is, like, very much into Christmas and, like, that sort of religious part of it. Um, we... I don't, I feel like there are movies as well, like, to celebrate just, like, this holiday season, um, and we don't have, like, that sort of, um, connection to those movies as much, but we do appreciate those films as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm, I celebrate Christmas as a cultural thing, Mm -hmm. I'm not religious, I come from a religious background, Mm -hmm. but I as an individual am not religious, and so Christmas isn't a religious holiday for me anymore, Mm -hmm. um, it's a cultural one, um, but, yeah, and I mean, that's the other thing, is, like, we're talking mostly about Christmas movies, and there are a handful of, like, Hanukkah movies, 
probably the most well-known being Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we don't really come from those backgrounds, and we haven't seen a lot of those films. So that's mm-hmm. why our discussion is primarily based on Disclaimer. <laughs> but yeah, disclaimer. I do like that a lot of Christmas movies um, are just more about Christmas as an all-encompassing holiday, not just about Christianity or any sort of religion or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's just Christmas for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Christmas is the best, you guys. <laughs> Do you still have that Han Solo cutout um, that is decorated by Christmas lights, Anya? I have moved my Han Solo cardboard cutout, but, like, he does still have, like, his little Santa hat and his scarf. So my Han Solo is ready for the holidays. All right. Nice. I think that is a good way to wrap up our Christmas movie discussion, guys. Uh, So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, um, Anya, what do you really like this week? So this week I really like uh, the young adult author or children's author Rick Riordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's that the guy. author. Yes, he's the author behind the Percy Jackson series. Um, he's done a couple other series. His series on Egyptian gods. Um, and he's currently writing a series about Norse mythology. Um, I am a big fan. I started reading the Percy Jackson series in high school. Um, as has been established, I'm a big fantasy fan. So even the ones that are kind of aimed at, aimed at younger audiences, I still love me some good fantasy series. I didn't um, know it came out during our high school years, actually. I thought it was yeah. more recent. Huh. Percy Jackson originally came out during high school. Hmm. Um, but what I really like about him is... Rick Riordan does the thing that I really love and that while his books are aimed at children, he never he never kind of makes his stories lesser because they're for kids in their maturity levels and their themes and their diversity. He really acknowledges that, you know, kids are smart enough and, like, they're very perceptive and they can handle kind of mature themes um, at younger ages. So... Rick Riordan does a really good job of having representation, and especially, like, explicit representation. I'm currently reading the second book in his Norse series, which is about a main character named Magnus Chase. Um, But there's a new character that was just introduced, and she's trans and gender fluid. Hmm. And this is in a children's book, and she outright says, I'm trans and gender fluid, which I think is really great. um, Because even if kids don't really understand what that means, they can then go look it up and they can kind of start educating themselves. Um, he's had numerous characters of color. He currently has a character who's deaf, um, and numerous queer queer characters. But the characters are never, like, just these traits. Like, these traits are just part of who they are, but they are fully realized characters as well. Um, and so I just really appreciate that, like... Even as an adult, I can still kind of, like, enjoy my fun fantasy adventure series, but the fact that, like, they are so mature and they are so diverse and that he is consciously doing this and with his audience in mind, like, he does it in a way that is accessible to kids. And I just think that's really great and kind of what we need more of in our children's literature and our young adult literature. You know, it's kind of, like, why people are disappointed that J.K. Rowling said Dumbledore was gay after the fact. Mm. Because, like, explicit representation is really important. 
Um, and it is a lot for kids to kind of, like, see themselves in characters. It's a conversation we've had a lot, but I just really appreciate that, how Rick Riordan does it, because he does it really well, and I think it's important. So, yeah. I agree with you, and I haven't read a lot of Rick Riordan stuff, but um, I do think... I've seen the two movies. Yeah. I saw the, I saw the first one, and yeah, <laughs> I had issues with it. But um, Yeah, they're not great. Um, and the first Percy Jackson series is... It, it's good, um, but he's definitely gotten better as an author. That's good. I, I mean, as you do. Um, mm-hmm. But they're really great now, so... Yeah. Don't discount young adult fiction, guys. There's a lot these days that, like, the young adult fiction is, is just kind of cut and dry and very reductive, but there are some good authors still out there, like, doing their best works in young adult fiction. And we did an entire podcast episode about young adult movies way back in 2015. It was a very long podcast. Or early 2016. I can't remember. It was, it was one of our first episodes. I think. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was like an hour and 45 minutes long. Yeah. We, like, we do not go that long anymore. No. Um, so, Willoughby, what is your yeah. really like for this week? Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer that premiered just last night. Um, it has an abundance of Baby Groot, uh, and Baby Groot is by far, like, the, the coolest thing about that series so far. Um, it has uh, a lot of fun visuals and uh, more, like, humor with Drax as being, like, completely oblivious to, like, deeper meanings of everything. Um, and then uh, the soundtrack is cool. It's, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're pulling with a, a different type of music this, this time. It's more 80s, I think. Um, and I don't know. I'm excited. I know Anya's not excited for this movie because, like, she doesn't like the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, I, haven't, I haven't watched the new trailer yet. Yeah, the new trailer actually made me excited for the film. So, Guardians of the Galaxy, I liked it when I first saw it, but it kind of fell in my opinion ever since I watched it. But this trailer made me excited again for it. It's it's so fun and witty, and I, yeah, Baby Groot really makes it. Yeah, um, and so I don't know. I'm I, I liked it. I liked the movie when when it's come out. I've seen it multiple times on Blu-ray. So, like, I'm definitely, like, not in the same camp as Anya in this. I mean, I recognize its problems, uh, but it's still it's still fun for me. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's just my masculine perspective, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I like it. It's fun. It's really cool. Uh, exciting. I'm, I, I remember when the teaser trailer, the, the well, like, the first teaser trailer dropped for it mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks before Doctor Strange. I just remember, th- I was like, okay, I'm not even excited for Doctor Strange anymore. I just want to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, but, like, I liked, I ended up liking Doctor Strange. Um, and so, I'm, I don't know, I'm excited for this one, too. You know, we'll be, I'll be in your camp of being excited for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I should probably watch the trailer and then... Just watch it once. Say my opinion. <laughs> put it away. Alright, so, my really like this week is DC Week. Yay! Yay! The four-part crossover between Arrow, Supergirl, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. Only yeah. two of which are shows that I watch. Yeah, I actually have a couple questions. Like, have, Okay, so Anya, you've seen the, the, the final episode? Yes. Okay, so like, what did you guys think of the fact that like A, the Supergirl episode wasn't really part of the crossover, and B, the Arrow 100 episode kind of overshadowed the crossover nature of this so I didn't mind too much about Supergirl because comic book crossovers often have that issue zero before they start off on the actual crossover. So like Supergirl, I kind of saw that as that issue zero, just like a little build up and then the actual crossover happened at the end. 
And, like, it was the mid-season finale, too, so they had to, like, wrap that up as well. And, like, yeah, Supergirl has been on its A-game this season, more so than any other of the other shows. So, again, I didn't mind that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you what did you what did you think of Arrow's one hundred episode? Because you guys don't watch it, so yeah, like a, a I, lot of things must have probably passed over your heads. I have a bit of a problem um, with that. I agree with HD on the Supergirl thing. Um, I think the Arrow episode, as an Arrow episode, was really great. Even as someone who doesn't watch it, I really recognize how it was like celebrating the show and the one hundredth episode, and I thought it did a really good job of that. And mm-hmm. I think. For Arrow fans, it was a really great episode. I liked it. Um, I watched. I, I've watched Arrow for a couple of years now, um, and I, I really thought it did did the show justice. Yeah, but I think it was a problem that it was part of the crossover because I think it made the episode weaker in the co- larger context of the crossover. Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, like I don't know if the network could have like shifted around episodes or had like the season start like a week earlier, so the one hundredth episode was like last week or something. I don't know if that was possible, maybe not, but I just think it made all the pieces fit together kind of weaker. Yeah, and the fact that there was the B-plot of, like, Flash and Supergirl trying to get um, this, like, technology from this, like... Cyborg woman or something. One-off one off supervillain that we'll never see again, probably. Yeah. and I was confused and, like, by, like, to... Felicity's nerd crew, too. Yeah, well, like, they're they're part of Arrow's team, like... Um, a lot of a lot of the old team members like left. Um, uh. Oral Oral died, um, and Thea retired, and John went back to the army, and now he's back. But so in that time, they rounded rounded up a, a bunch of new like quote unquote heroes, but they're all kind of just I don't know. They're not as great. They're not as fun as as the original Team Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked Arrow. I I I. I, I thought it made it it was a weak crossover episode but i thought the episode in which it focused on the 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 history and the legacy of the show is was really interesting because the show takes place it's only been five years but they every season is a a flashback year as well so they do like the like the c plot of each episode will be the flashbacks to what oliver was doing like on the island and so, and like different places, like he doesn't stay on the island the entire five years, but he comes back to it. Um, and like each 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 season is a new year in that in that flashback. So by the, mm-hmm. by the time we've hit five seasons, we by the end of five seasons, we'll have covered ten years of time in Oliver's life. So like oh, wow. even though he might have been Arrow for only five years, he's been living this life <laughs> since the the boat crash for mm-hmm. ten. Um, so that that was a really interesting thing that I, I didn't realize until like now mm. that like oh man he's been doing this for like a decade now, um, and then uh, I I liked the 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 final Legends of Tomorrow I, I caught up with Legends of Tomorrow to watch this but I then it, it it was really not really I mean it was focused on the time travel part and like the newer characters but the um the, the it ended up still being like it was it ended up being more of a flash episode it did like it was a cisco episode really like i noticed yeah, well, yeah. legends of tomorrow was just like all cisco which i thought was hilarious which um, i also thought was great because the character he had a lot of strong character development mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. agree i did like that jacks ended up being kind of the one to save the day because i really like jacks yeah he's cool mm-hmm I don't watch Legends. They I were just like, love Jax from Flash. Yeah, and they were like, hey, let's transmute this thing. I'm like, oh man, Full Metal Alchemist. I, was, I did not know that was a power that he had, and I was like, wow, it's a 
overpowered thing, but cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously it took a lot of energy out of him to do it. Yeah. Um, but he can't do that. Sense, he can't do that. I mean, he could do it with, like, smaller things. That's why he was talking about he's too big. I really oh, like okay. that there was development between Cisco and Barry because right now they are the ones that are like hurting me the most. I know. Yeah. In that, so I'm really Supergirl's... glad that like yeah. Cisco called him his friend and yeah. Only after coming through the the same shoes that Barry walked through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was th- I did think it was weird that um, at the beginning of the Legends episode, Cisco was so excited to time travel when like the root of all of his problems with Barry was time travel. And yeah, she's like time travel. I, I, yeah, I thought that was a, a a weird inconsistency, but then Felicity mm. called him on his bullshit. Yeah, it made sense. Um, but yeah, I agree with Anya about the Arrow episode. I was thinking during it, I'm like, I'll probably really enjoy this if I watched Arrow. Um, but yeah, I agree. It probably should have been on its own, like 100th episode thing. And they did like, their they own. Could have done- uh, they could have done their, the same like idea with like all Oliver like being like I don't know put in a coma for something and he's like living out this fantasy yeah. kind of like I mean it's very much along the lines of Superman's for the man who has it's, man who has everything it's basically their version of the man who has everything yeah so. and also there's that Batman animated uh, series episode where Bruce is living Yay. out his life as Bruce Wayne and there's another Batman his parents are both alive so like it's very much reminiscent of both. Of those um, and Supergirl had her, their own for the for the man who has everything with mm-hmm. Kara, um, basically the same story with yeah, uh, yeah. with Supergirl. Um, so I don't know. I, I always I always like those kind of stories where it's like a retrospective on like the series mm-hmm. and like the character development. So I don't know. I liked it. No, yeah. I I was like I would have liked this. Um, I think exactly. in terms of like the crossover episodes, Legends was actually the strongest one, just yeah. because like they. Like, you know, all the characters finally came together. It did feel a little rushed just because they didn't get any of the plot going through in, like, the Arrow episode. They ha- So they had to do it all in the Legends episode. But it actually, like, the plot made somewhat sense and held together. It was fun. Um, and, like, all, all the characters got, like, their time to shine despite Oliver being kind of weirdly inconsistent between his episode and this episode in terms of, like, how he's treating Kara. He was just kind of like, oh, you're, you're going to sit back. I want to be normal. Like, that doesn't make sense. But yeah, oh, yeah. But otherwise, I thought like the Legends episode was surprisingly good. It probably won't make me watch Legends. I still don't really know who like that new character is, and I don't know where which one, Citizen Steel. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where Arthur Darvel went, and I'm like, okay, I guess this is what ha- what's happening. Yeah, he's MIA right now. Okay. Also, Katie, is it Katie Cassidy, Katie, Katie Cassidy for Laurel. Yeah. Yeah, she plays White Canary. No, she's no that's, uh, that's Katie Lotz. Katie Lotz. Mm-hmm. She's a terrible actress. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. She's terrible. She she does, like, the sultry thing well, but that's it the only thing. It kind of hits her lines a little too hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's very wooden and one note. And she's I haven't right. even seen, like, a lot of her since I don't watch Arrow, but... Well, she never shows up on Flash. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, eh, she doesn't seem like yeah. the most dynamic. Yeah, um, so I was really like she's such a main character in both Arrow and Legends, and I was like, she's not great either. She's no. nice to look at, I'm sure, but <laughs> yeah. And the Arrow episode just made me realize how much, and we've talked about this, but how much Arrow is basically just Batman. Yeah, it's a Batman, it's show. Batman show. It basically is, yeah. Which is really unfortunate because. Oliver Queen as a comic character has a really great mythology and he's a really mm-hmm. great character and he's really fun, especially with Dinah. 
Um, and so the fact that they're not doing that for whatever reason is kind of a shame. Yeah, like, he's not a socialist or he's not funny. <laughs> he's not a socialist. Yeah. I know, that's the best part of it about Arrow. About Green Arrow, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Arrow. Also, yeah, they, didn't start really calling Green, they literally didn't start calling him Green Arrow until last year. Because he was the hood, and then he was... Well, first he was the vigilante, and then he was the hood. Then he was the Arrow for, like, seasons three, two and three. And then he, they finally started calling him the Green Arrow, which I'm like... Come on. They should really have been does he, like, act like Ollie, or does he act no, like Bruce Wayne? No, he, he tries like to be a little bit more upbeat in season four, but then he's brought back down to being, like, <laughs> So he's basically Ollie's Bruce Wayne. so much fun as a character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. It's a shame, like Anya but said. But we've got those mid-season finales for Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow next week, mm-hmm. which will be fun. Supergirl's so, yeah. already had its mid-season finale. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about that, so... Yeah, so I think this was a fairly successful crossover. A little rushed, um, and it had, you know, its crossover flaws. But it was it was fun. It wasn't, like, a major disaster. Like, I kind of anticipated it being. And plus, we're getting a Flash Supergirl musical episode yes, in the spring. I'm so excited, I'm so for, excited that. for that. Which is going to be just the best, because everyone on both those shows can sing so much. I know. I hope there are at least so talented. sequences, too. Ugh, I can't great. wait. Ugh. I'm excited for Jeremy Jordan, especially. I'm excited But I her. am just a fan of Jeremy Jordan. <laughs> yeah, he's got a real superhero or a real comic book type name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he uh, does. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jordan. Jeremy Jordan. Is that his real name? Probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Christmas movies, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 new trailer on the DC crossover, or Rick Riordan and any of his book series, definitely come chat with us about that. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Um, we have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to us on Google Play and iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Um, and where can they find you guys? You can find me at HTrendBooey on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.